This podcast is researched and presented by enthusiasts, not experts, for entertainment purposes only. None of the content you're about to hear is meant to be taken as legal, medical, financial, survival, or any other kind of advice. Please consult with professionals. This episode contains mature content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. Welcome to In the Labyrinth of Death the podcast where we explore the choices that people make in a disaster and whether those choices keep them alive. I'm Finn. And I'm Marina. Since it's spooky season, we've got a Halloween special for you this week. Werewolves are actually a huge phobia of mine. During the day when I'm fully rational, I know 100% that werewolves are not real. But when I'm out walking the dogs alone by myself at night, I get spooked pretty easily, and I always worry that there's werewolves lurking back in the forest. And she's absolutely not joking. I've actually received phone calls while she's on a walk just because there might be a chance of werewolves. Yeah, and I've actually cut some walks short before. Once, like back in the hills, I saw this like big dark beast coming towards me and the dogs. It was probably just a deer or maybe a dog, but it freaked me out. I didn't walk down in that area for a while after that. Anyway, let's get into it. I've got a story about a supposed werewolf attack. And this is one of the most famous cases when you're looking up historical, quote-unquote, real werewolf attacks. I actually read this when I was a kid. I used to have this big old hardcover book. I can still see it. It was like an orange cover with like a dragon or a griffin on the front, and it was called the Encyclopedia of Monsters. And this story scared me more than any of the other ones, except for maybe that old picture of the Flatwoods monster. So before we dive into it, just as a small caveat, I took six years of French, but my pronunciation has absolutely gone shit. So just prepare yourselves and I'll do my very best. But if it's terrible, I apologize. It's summer 1764 in Gévaudan, an area in the south of France. Think like spooky, untamed European forest as the setting, far away from any real civilization, just some farmers, sheep herders, cattle herders, that kind of thing. There's a young woman named Marie-Jean Vallée who was in the woods crossing a stream when she was attacked by a huge wolf. She happened to be carrying a homemade spear, which was fortunate but weird, and I guess maybe she was carrying it because there was always danger of wolves in 18th century France, I don't know. She fought the wolf and impaled it, ultimately driving it away. Marie-Jean later described it as being something that was like a wolf, yet not a wolf, which is, like, seriously terrifying to me. It's almost like it's an uncanny valley thing where it's like, it's a wolf, but it's just not quite right. That beast would later become known as La Bête de Gévaudan, or the Beast of Gévaudan. And it's unclear whether it was one or two or maybe more wolves working together. It's weird because sometimes there were multiple attacks that happened far apart in a short span of time, and sometimes eyewitnesses actually reported seeing two wolves together in the attack. So either way, the beast, however many there were, was described as being, and this is a quote from the Atlas Obscura, an enormous red-black wolf. So accounts vary on how many people were killed. Smithsonian Magazine has it at 100, others cite it as high as 500. In every attack, the beast tore out the victim's throat, and in some cases, they were actually almost entirely decapitated. But there were almost never any other kinds of wounds other than the throat being torn out or the decapitations, all kind of centered around the neck. So multiple wolves were killed, and each time they thought they'd gotten the beast, but the killings continued. In January 1765, so like six months after the first attack, a boy named Jacques Portefeuille was attacked along with seven other children while they were herding cattle in a field, which is crazy since large groups of people, even children, don't often get attacked by wild animals. They managed to fight the wolf back, but were unsuccessful in killing it. 
King Louis XV actually heard about these boys getting attacked and was so moved that he weirdly gave them money. It was like 350 livres to the one boy Jacques and like 300 for the rest of the team to split. And he also gave a scholarship for Jacques to study. And then Louis XV actually ended up sending multiple groups of people to hunt down the animal. And they all fucked it up for various reasons. So he kind of just kept sending more people as they kept failing. And ultimately, Louis XV sends his own personal gun bearer, someone named Antoine de Bauterne, to Giverdon to kill the beast. Bauterne and his men kill a big wolf that they think is the beast itself. You know, there's actually got like some scars on it that people recognize from people fighting back against it. So they take it back. I think they actually get it stuffed. But after they get back, like two months after, more people start dying after they declare the success. So they knew they hadn't actually finally rooted out the monster. The beast was finally slain by a farmer named Jean Chastel in 1767. And he actually has a statue erected in his honor. Marie Jean also has a really cool statue as a side note. So they did a necropsy of the wolf that Chastel killed, and a necropsy is just an autopsy for an animal. And they confirmed that there were human remains in its stomach, and that necropsy report was actually known as the Marin Report, and noted specifically that it was like a huge, like an insanely huge wolf, and it was seen by like 300 people who confirmed that it was ginormous. So that's the story. I just want to say, like, talking about like the labyrinth of death, the fact that Marie had her own homemade spear had a quick enough fight reaction to actually impale the creature is crazy. I don't know if I would have been able to do that myself, but she was prepared with the spear and also like mentally prepared to use it. Here's the question. Was it a werewolf? Some people at the time thought so. Some people now still think so. Modern scholars think it may actually have been a pack of wolves or perhaps a large dog. There's some actual scholarly theories that it was a large dog in body armor made out of the hide of a boar. That feels a little crazy to me. Some modern theories also think it could have been Tasmanian tigers, which I also don't buy, but that matches the description a little bit more because it's red and black, and some people said that it had stripes. I personally think that Botaren may have gotten one of the culprits and that Chastel got another. But whether it was a werewolf or not, what Marie-Jean managed to do is pretty cool, and her quick thinking in a crisis kept her alive. Yeah, it's pretty fucking badass that she had a spear on hand ready to go. So let's dig into the history of werewolves for a little bit. The oldest written record of a werewolf is the Epic of Gilgamesh, although it's not exactly a werewolf like we're acquainted with in modern times. It tells the story of a woman who turns her lover into a wolf. Yeah, that feels more witchcrafty to me rather than like a straight up werewolf. It's very like Circe turning men into pigs in the Odyssey. Very much so. It's also mentioned in the Greek myth about Lycaon, who serves a meal made out of a sacrificed child and is turned into a wolf by Zeus as punishment. That's also the origin of the word lycanthrope, which is another word for werewolf, which comes from lycos for wolf in Greek and anthropos for man. So that's literally like wolf man. And werewolf is also basically the Germanic version of the same thing, were being for man and wolf for wolf. Yeah, so the idea is actually pretty prevalent throughout European history. It's in Nordic folklore, and it's in the saga of the Volsungs, in which a father-son duo wear wolf pelts to actually gain power. The next big entry in werewolf history is all weirdly centered in France, in which three 16th century men claimed to be werewolves before murdering a lot of kids. Two men named Pierre Burgot and Michel Verdun actually worked together and said that they swore an oath to the devil himself to turn into wolves, and that the devil gave them a magical ointment to turn into wolves. The other French serial killer who claimed to be a werewolf was Gilles Garnier, better known as the Werewolf of Dull. 
Back then, they believed that burning was the most surefire way to kill a werewolf, so all three men were burned to death. Seems fair. A little earlier in 15th century Germany, there was also a man named Peter Stubb who murdered and ate humans and animals. He actually claimed that he could turn into a wolf because of a magic belt. People who actually caught him claimed that they could see him turn into a wolf, but people back then believed in all kinds of crazy things. Stubb was later called the Werewolf of Bedburg. And it's important to say that we're not going to dig into any of the medical conditions that may have historically been misattributed to werewolfism. That's stuff like rabies, hypertrichosis, which is when you have excessive hair growth, porphyria, which is a blood disorder that makes you sensitive to light, or delusions like lycanthropy, which is when you think you turn into an animal. Whenever you talk about mythological creatures like werewolves or vampires or zombies, you have to talk about the particular rules for them since it can vary by source. I like the standard rules introduced by the Universal Monster movie The Wolfman in 1941. In The Wolfman, Talbot, played by Lon Chaney Jr., gets bitten by a werewolf and then turns into a werewolf himself. He kills the wolf that bites him with a silver cane, and a later sequel is the first introduction of a werewolf being killed by a silver bullet. It's mentioned that you can only be bitten by a werewolf when, quote, the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. This later changes in the universal canon to being only when a full moon is out, which is now basically canon for the whole modern interpretation of a werewolf. As an aside, our daughter has been watching Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein over and over and over. It's a great fucking movie, but I think Longini Jr. turns into a werewolf at least six times. It's like the moon is full every moment of every night in the movie. It's great. Yeah, it was literally a full moon every single time there was a moon. So And there it, was like 20 moons. There were so many moons. Yeah, it's like the whole span of the movie takes place over what, one, two nights? Well, it may have been a little longer. So there was the whole like shipping of stuff. He was a wolfman in London and then he moved over here. So yeah. Anyway, by the rules of the original The Wolfman, The only way to stop a werewolf curse is one, a magic talisman to counteract the curse, or two, to kill the werewolf. From medieval Europe, it's also worth noting that wolfbane could cure a werewolf or an exorcism in cases where a pact with the devil was made. Yeah, the idea of werewolfism in various forms is pretty prevalent throughout Europe in particular. There were lots of ways to turn into a werewolf, such as like, this is like a weird Italian one, actually laying out in the moonlight on certain nights. And there were lots of ways to cure it, including like a weird German idea that you could just say the person's name three times to cure them. So let's talk about all the different kinds of werewolves. There is, I think, a lot of misconception over what people nowadays think werewolves are. And that's due to a lot of new media, as in media that comes out after like 1990, right, about what a werewolf is. I think the most notorious example is Twilight. Yeah, and those like, to me, those are not werewolves. Those are just like shapeshifters. And to me, those are not werewolves. Those are just shapeshifter. Fuck. <laughs> to me. <laughs> I can't say it. Oh, wait, I'm having a hard time. This is like when Dean couldn't say it. I know. Was it shapeshifter for him too? Yes. It's so hard to say. Yeah, to me, the, the stupid Twilight werewolf thing, those weren't werewolves. Those were actually shapeshifters and not werewolves at all. Yeah, so we're talking about straight-up werewolves. We're not going to get into all the rules for them because there's so many out there, but I think there's three primary archetypes, right? The first one is a true, honest-to-God werewolf as outlined in modern accepted canon by the 1941 Wolfman. 
The second category would be shapeshifters. So we're talking about twilight, quote-unquote, werewolves, underworld, quote-unquote, werewolves, as well as what you would see in, like, Harry Potter. Those, one of those animaguses. Oh, yeah, you yeah. remember it better than me, shockingly. Or, or even, yeah. I think, animorphs, they do it at will. Those are shapeshifters. Yeah, yeah, well... The Animorphs had an alien power. Yes. And if you stayed in animal form too long, you got stuck, like Tobias the Hawk, who got stuck. Exactly. And then the third category would be skinwalkers, which we're going to go much deeper into in a different episode. But suffice it to say, they all have a lot of similarities. The difference between the first two, which is the difference between a true werewolf and a shape-shifting werewolf, is that a true werewolf cannot consciously choose to become a werewolf. They, they involuntarily become a werewolf at a certain time, which is during a full moon. Yeah. And when I think about, I had food poisoning a couple of weeks ago and it was like truly horrific. Like when I think about like turning into a werewolf, it's like, it's like you're on a train, like when you have a stomach virus and you're just on the train and there's nothing you can do about it and you're just going to be violently sick. So it's, it's like the idea where like now the full moon is out and you're on the I'm going to turn into a werewolf train and there's just going to be horrific things that happen to you and you can't do anything about it. Absolutely. So all that to say, we're literally just talking about straight up werewolves here. We won't get into the rules for all the other kinds that Fen talked about because there's just so much out there. Yeah, we'd be here for literally days talking about it. And we need to define what the rules specifically are for this discussion. So we're kind of laying it out based on an amalgamation of a lot of different cultural and historically accepted terms for what a werewolf is. So the first bullet point about what people consider to be part of the werewolf canon is that you must be bitten or somehow physically damaged by a werewolf to be turned into a werewolf. I think it's usually bitten. Like, I don't see many people... Can you get scratched? We saw just literally an hour or two ago, the American werewolf in London, he didn't get bitten. That is actually true. And I yep. would consider that canon. It's I universal. Would, exactly. Yeah. I would absolutely include an American werewolf in London as part of werewolf canon. Yeah, There's I, no other comparison. Well, it's that and the wolfman, exactly. basically. Yep. Everything else is just... We went on like a deep dive. Well, we went on like a quick deep dive of looking up like the top werewolf movies to like educate ourselves again. And it's basically just American Werewolf in London, which is a masterpiece, and then The Wolfman from 1941. And that's it, and all the rest of them are shit. So that's the first one. You have to be somehow physically damaged. It's, it's like rabies rules. If it is you rabies are, rules, yeah. If you're bitten or scratched, somehow it gets into your bloodstream involuntarily or otherwise, then you are now considered to be infected with the werewolf curse. Correct. The second bullet point is that you only turn into a werewolf involuntarily when the moon is out in full. So just a side note on the full moon thing, from like an astronomical point of view, there is a moment in time when the moon is literally full. This is a mythology, so what we're really talking about is when the moon appears to be full. Apparently that's not just like one night, it can appear to be full for up to like three whole days. So it might not be like one day that you're having a bad time, it could be like up to three days. Yeah, and in the movie that we just watched, The American Werewolf in London, he became a werewolf two nights in a row. Yes, he did. That's a great movie, by the way, for anyone who has not seen it for real. It's awesome. It's such a good movie. And the next point is that you literally have to turn into a wolf-like creature. Yeah, and we actually had a debate about this before we started recording about whether it would count if you literally turned into like a ginormous literal wolf. And I think we landed on you have to be a wolf-like creature and not just a large wolf. Yes, because if you think about it in 
Harry Potter, right? You have those wizards who can transform into different animals. They're not werewolves because if you literally become a cat, you're not a were-cat. You're not a werewolf if you literally become a wolf. The next criterion is that you have zero control over when you turn into a werewolf or what actions you take as a werewolf. Yeah, and you may or may not remember what actually happened when you were a werewolf. You can also be killed by silver, whether that's in a cane like in the 1941 movie, or more conventionally using bullets or knives or other objects. The next criterion is that wolfbane can repel a werewolf, but it can't cure it. And the last rule, and I think one of the most interesting rules, is that there is no actual cure for being a werewolf. You're a werewolf for life. Yeah, I think they kind of moved away from the curse idea after the 1941 movie. So at least for what we're going to talk about, we're assuming that there really is no permanent cure for not being a werewolf. Or rather, no cure for being a werewolf. Yeah, the only cure is death. Yeah, whether that's by like silver or like if you want to go back to like 16th century France being like burned to death. So following these pretty standard rules, we've broken the guidelines down as simply as possible. Yeah, basically, if it's not a full moon... There is no concern you need to have over having a werewolf exposure. Now, if it is a full moon, then you actually have to be a little bit more careful since getting bitten by one is irreversible. You can just avoid going out after dark if it's a full moon since it only applies when it's in the dark, not if it's a full moon during the day. Because obviously, in astronomy terms, there's always a full moon sometime in a 24-hour period if it's a full moon for that day. Yeah, and as our daughter points out, she often looks at the sky and just points and goes, moon, in like the middle of the day, and sometimes it's full. But I've never seen a werewolf movie where you turn into a werewolf in the daytime just because the moon is full above you. And for aspiring authors or filmmakers, that would be an awesome movie idea. Like if you have a werewolf attack happen and transform in the middle of the day. Yeah. And I think the weird thing is with these movies, I think you sometimes have to like see it, at least in like we were watching Abbott and Stella meet Frankenstein and he would be Lon Chaney Jr. who plays the wolfman would be normal and then he would look up at the moon and turn into a werewolf so it's almost like if you just like put on like an eye mask you might not turn into a werewolf but we're just saying it's nighttime it's a full moon you're turning into a werewolf whether you look at it or not there are actually instances in movies the first one i think that comes to mind is van helsing where if your moon is obscured by clouds you might lose the ability to turn into a werewolf but again they're not really van helsing rules Van Helsing rules are kind of crazy. As much as I love that movie, it's I don't think that follows like standard werewolf or anything rules. It's just out there. Yeah. The way that we're interpreting it is that whether or not you are aware that there's a full moon, your body, because of the curse or the virus, will involuntarily take care of that for you. So one guideline that you can follow is to wear some wolfbane to keep werewolves away. Yeah, and it's important to note here that wolfbane, like the literal plant wolfbane, is fatally toxic to like dogs and to people because it has a really dangerous neurotoxin and cardiotoxin. So be super careful and don't actually handle it unless you're a pro, especially if you're out walking your dogs or if you have small children because they actually will die. And I think that's kind of interesting to say that wolfbane is an anti-werewolf measure because it seems like you could just say cyanide is an anti-werewolf component <laughs> yeah. too. Because <laughs> like it's dangerous to people and animals and other supernatural creatures. Well maybe maybe in wolf form it's immune to all other poisons except for wolfbane. You never know. And if you do get bitten, you're basically fucked. If you want to do something that will minimize the chances of you hurting other people, you might want to lock yourself up in a room somewhere 
and the werewolf in london movie the guy tried to get in jail which i think is actually a pretty smart idea but well failed. yeah but if he's just locked up in jail he might be in there with other people that he would just eat everyone in the yeah cell. you would that's not fair you would hope that you would have a single cell which probably is not the case yeah, you'd have to get yourself into jail and then get yourself into solitary I mean, it also really depends on the strength of the werewolf because in, I was literally going to say in too. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. He Lon Chaney Jr. the Wolfman literally just has Lou Costello lock him in the hotel room with the little dinky like 1940s 1950s key. That would do nothing. Yeah, he literally couldn't bust out of a door. Which is funny because we were watching in the same day, 28 weeks later, and those zombies were super fucking zombies. They were breaking down doors. They were breaking windows. Like those were power zombies yeah that kind of like i feel like i could take on lon cheney jr like i feel like i could fight that kind of a werewolf if we're like if the werewolves had the strength of the 28 days later or 28 weeks later zombies i would just shoot myself with a silver like with a silver bullet because there is no hope of survival and that's going to be a horrible way to die and i just want to say one other thing like if like let's say i got bitten and then i infected you what the fuck are we gonna do because we'd have to like Assuming we did lock ourselves up, like we did the responsible thing and said like, hey, we have installed in our basement a cage so that we can become werewolves and not infect other people. We're still going to have to like arrange overnight childcare. We're still going to have to have someone watch the dogs for us. So like even if you could manage this horrific thing that you're going through by like locking yourself away, there's still like actual like real life administrative and logistical issues to deal with. Yeah. And that's if you're not just outright killed, right? Because I feel like the chance of you actually getting not fatally wounded by a werewolf is relatively small, right? It seems like it's a 99% chance of you getting just outright killed if you don't have like a weapon and then 1% chance of being somehow not killed. I think that's actually, I mean, 1% might be a little bit low for survival rates, but I want to say like if you imagine like just a dog that attacks someone, if it's a big dog, you could be killed by a dog. People get killed by dogs all the time. Yeah, like, I was going to talk about this later, but I'll talk about it now. Like, I was out, this was just happened like two and a half weeks ago. I was out walking her dogs in the middle of a day on a Sunday. I feel like all my stories are us walk, me walking the dogs by myself. I was out walking the dogs on a Sunday, middle of the day, you know, just turn the corner, go like five houses up. And this dog runs out of our neighbor's house, runs across the street, starts biting our dogs. The lady doesn't even come outside. And I actually end up having to take the dog down in the least graceful way possible, which is, I was like the center of a merry-go-round. I had the dogs like on a tight leash. So I was like the center. They were running around and around the round. The dog was trying to bite our dogs. It actually bit one of our dog's tails. And then when they were behind me, I sat down backwards onto the dog, like sitting on its shoulder side saddle. So like even just doing that, I got like super lucky, right? But like that dog easily could have killed our dogs. And if it had been person aggressive, it might have killed me because there was no one coming to save me. Yeah, I would say that for pit bulls especially, the right kind of pit bull, they could take down the Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman. I'm just saying, because that Wolfman was not a threat. To be fair, I think our dogs, we have two Shibas, I think our dogs together in tandem could take down that Wolfman. He was not that strong. So I did want to go into this for just a little bit. Why do you think you're actually afraid of werewolves to the magnitude that you are? Well, I saw the Wolfman very young, which means our daughter is probably doomed to the same fate as me. And I don't know, I've always, I've always had nightmares about werewolves. I'm not scared of dogs or anything like that. I'm not scared of vampires. Like all of that, like vampires are clearly not real. And while I accept that werewolves are also not real, I'm like legitimately terrified of them. I'm also really scared of rabies. 
and have been since I was in like third grade when I thought that a rabid bat would drool on me at night and I would become infected through a imperceptibly small cut on myself. So I would actually like at night in third grade go outside wearing a baseball cap so bats couldn't drool on me. So I'm like a full on crazy person. Do you think that you could actually fight a werewolf if it was single combat? I mean, I think it depends on the werewolf. I took down that like 70 pound pit bull by sitting on it. And I was told by animal control that I was only able to do that because it was fat and out of shape. And luckily, I am also fat and out of shape and so was able to take it down by sitting on it. So if we're talking about like a werewolf that's like not super fast and not super strong, then yeah, maybe if it's Lon Chaney Jr. If we're talking about like the kind of like pumped up werewolf from like American Werewolf in London, I don't think I could take that one down. That one like destroyed like an entire part of the city. Now, how do you feel about your chances versus multiple werewolves? Yeah, see, that's where it gets interesting because me alone with multiple werewolves, I think you're screwed. Like people get killed by multiple dogs. And like that, I don't think is survivable. Okay, you, would you survive against one werewolf? If it was the 1941 Wolfman, I would give myself 50-50 odds. Okay. If it was Van Helsing... That's negative zero. <laughs> negative fifty odds, unless, unless the a cloud. <laughs> I was literally thinking a cloud. <laughs> what other kinds are there? The American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I'd probably get fucked by that one too. Yeah, but that's like a maybe a one percent chance of survival. The Van Helsing ones, you just you have ceased to exist the moment it has seen you. I think the thing that sets werewolves apart is they're usually this is not part of the canon, but they're usually depicted as being fast you probably cannot outrun a werewolf. I mean, you can't outrun a dog. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, if the bar for a werewolf is at least as good as a dog, Mm -hmm. then surely you can't outrun it. And if it's, like, a human-sized dog, you probably can't beat it in a fight. Like, if a werewolf transforms, and I know it's magic and it's not real, but, like, if the matter has not changed in, like, quantity, right? Like, your atoms have simply changed somehow and you've become a werewolf with the same matter, then it necessarily has to be a werewolf that is the same mass as the human, right? So a human-sized dog with supernatural powers surely is better than like a regular dog, right? In terms of like strength and speed and all that stuff. Now, if I was armed, we're talking about silver bullets, wolfbane, maybe a silver sword. So you're saying you, you're saying that this is not a surprise attack. You're saying that you... If I was... If in you Van know Helsing where, mode. You're in Van Helsing mode. You know that werewolves are real. Yes. You have to go to the grocery store. Yes. On a full moon. Yes. Because our daughter needs bananas. Yes. So you are, you're equipped with silver weapons of some kind. Yes. I'm assuming you've parked the car in the garage so that you do not get attacked on your way into the car. By egress or ingress, yes. Correct. So then what are your odds? I would say probably with my level of fitness and my paranoia, I would probably give myself 60-40 odds in one-on-one on an average werewolf. Like I said, if it's Van Helsing rules, I'm still losing. If it's Van Helsing rules, we're like coating the house in armor and we're just not leaving at night at all. Was that full moons? That was only full moons, That was only full moons. Okay. Although, I don't know if that's 100%. I don't think their canon was consistent because remember when... The woman's brother turns into a werewolf yeah, and they had was... that trap. That was in the middle of the day. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I don't know if they're actually consistent in their own story. That's confusing to me. But against what you would say as a quote-unquote average werewolf, I'd probably have 
50-50 odds. Yeah, and I think, like, it also depends, like, you're right, how ubiquitous is it? Is it, like, American Werewolf in London, where, like, the town has a curse, and it's normally one or two people who turn into a werewolf at any, like, given point in time? That is manageable. If we're talking about it spreading, like, a literal virus, where, like, you have patient zero werewolf, and then they spread, and they spread, and they spread, and then all of a sudden you have, like, oodles of people who turn into werewolves every full moon, that might be really fucking bad. So why don't we apply this kind of thinking into a more practical scenario? Let's say that in our current universe right now, where there obviously are no werewolves. That you know. That you know. (laughs) That we know of. If suddenly there were some new virus or curse, whether scientific or not, that plays by rabies rules, where it is viral, it infects you through physical wounds, and you can inflict that on other people. It doesn't matter if you're us or you're the strongest person in the world. If you encounter a werewolf and you're not expecting it, because why the fuck would you? Then you're fucked. I know what you're saying logically, but one, I'm always expecting a werewolf after dark because you never know. And two, I don't fully accept that I would just be fucked because I would at least try to keep the dogs alive. Like, I just don't, I don't accept that I would just be killed. I can't accept that I wouldn't have a chance. You would have to have been already armed like that French person that you described at the beginning of the story. Yes. I need to start carrying a homemade spear. Not just that, but you also have to question how durable are these quote-unquote real werewolves. Because in the movie that we saw, The American Werewolf in London, it only took like two or three bullet shots to kill them. It wasn't even to the head. It was just body shots and it killed the werewolves, both werewolves that we saw in the movie. So I'm assuming that some equally egregious level of bodily damage has to be inflicted. Could you do that with your bare hands? Probably not. I would try. I always think about what are the truly unsurvivable situations. And like, I came to the conclusion that like, I could fight a bear, but I can't fight a rabid bear. So werewolf is probably in the rabid bear camp. So you're right. Maybe I would die. I'll just accept that for the purpose of conversation, even though I don't actually accept it in my heart. Yeah, I think the average unarmed person has zero chance against a common werewolf, the way that we think of it. Okay, so we're saying like labyrinth of death, you're a regular human out walking your dog at night on a full moon. You happen to be attacked by patient zero, whether it's virus or curse or whatever. Yeah. Randomly attacked by the werewolf in the darkness. We're saying, barring you being like a superhuman or having a weapon, you're probably dead. So there's nothing you could do in that case. Yes, I would have to agree with that. Okay. There's one last thing we should talk about. Let's say somehow you do everything right and you actually survive the werewolf attack. So you're now a werewolf yourself. And one, you obviously have to make sure you don't kill anybody else. And two, you have to continue keeping yourself alive. And you know, this is actually a fantastic segue. I read about tons of records of werewolf trials and some of those were actually presided over by the Pope himself. Like a witch trial, but like specifically for werewolves? Yeah, they were actually pretty common in Europe throughout the 16th and 17th centuries. I found that the most famous cases involved actual serial killers that you mentioned like earlier, particularly killers of children, and they often involved cannibalism as well. But like a lot of other historical witch trials, the vast majority of these were likely targeted due to pettiness or even mass hysteria. That guy that we mentioned earlier before, the German serial killer, his name was Peter Stubb, He was actually convicted in a werewolf trial, and at the end of it, he had his head cut off and put onto a wooden pike carved in the shape of a wolf, and it was used as a warning to other people. 
I actually saw that too. They peeled his skin off before he was dead. Then they decapitated him and then they burned his body just to be sure. So obviously in our scenario where werewolves are real, you wouldn't want to burn innocent people at the stake just because they got infected. But this guy, Peter Stubb, was like a literal serial killer and cannibal who killed children. So it seems like justice to me. Yeah, I actually don't see any issues with that either. I found another case of an 18-year-old kid who was named Hans, and he later became infamously known as Hans the Werewolf. He was tried in Estonia in 1651, and it was one of 20 other trials at the time. It was never confirmed that he murdered anyone, but he did confirm that he was bitten by a man in black, and he claimed that that granted him the ability to turn into a wolf. He then confessed that he had spent two years hunting people in this wolf form, and he even went as far to tell the court that he felt more like a wild beast than a man. The court determined that this counted as a deal with the devil, and he was actually sentenced to death after this. Yeah, and I'm guessing like the others, he was probably burned to death, given what we heard from everything else. So it's a good thing to keep in mind. If you're a werewolf, maybe don't tell anybody else. You can't take it back once it's out, and just telling somebody could take you straight to like a dead end in the labyrinth of death. Yeah, if you fucked up and started telling people or let them know somehow that you were a werewolf, your only option may just be to flee, skip town, run away, and try to change your name. Yeah, that's what I'd do. But turning into a werewolf would definitely complicate that, like timing-wise, if you had to flee like during a full moon. So just generally keep being a werewolf to yourself so you don't get skinned and decapitated and burned at the stake. It's just not worth it. Yeah, the risk of getting found out and being the victim of vigilante justice just is not worth it in my opinion. So I think that's all we've got for werewolves this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of In the Labyrinth of Death. In the meantime, send us your spooky werewolf stories or near misses with death to inthelabyrinthofdeath at gmail.com. See you next week. Happy early Halloween. Halloween.